Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Going through the Bible together. When I say we're going through the Bible, we are going through the Bible. We've been doing this for a year, and we are in only First Kings. Okay, so we're gonna in three years we will move through it, the entirety of Scripture, and. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm still excited about it. I didn't know how I'd feel after a year uh, because I have, to find, I have to follow this liturgy as well. I have to follow this, this way that we're moving through the Bible. And I want to tell you, for my style of preaching, for my background, for, for, for my uh, discipline and, and my denomination, my tribe, this is not really considered uh, following the leading of the Holy Spirit, as it were. But I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit... And Jesus is present throughout Scripture. That's a really good place to say amen, because it's one book, and it's one story, and it's all about one person. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God. It's all about the Lord. It's all about the working of our triune God throughout human history. And as we go through the Bible together, we're connecting those dots between Old Testament, the Old Testament history and prophets and what Jesus uh, basically fulfilled through his ministry. The entire Old Testament points to Jesus. And today is no different. The story of Elijah is no different. As we learned last week when the, on the trans, Mount of Transfiguration, we're usually worshiping right now. And like, there's kids on fire over here. Maybe we should, ch- hopefully on fire spiritually, not physically, okay? But they're back there screaming. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. Our kids are excited for Jesus. That's something to be excited about. We could probably do with a little bit more shouting, to be honest with you. Okay. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I digress here. So we, we're into talking about Elijah. And on the Mount of Trans, Transfiguration, Jesus meets with two of the greatest men in the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. And uh, it's not by accident. We see great. We see Moses deliver God's people out of oppression. Jesus delivers us out of our oppression. We see Elijah also there. Who, who? What we're going to learn about today? Called down fire from heaven. One of the greatest acts in the, in the Old Testament. I mean, I think second only to his ascent. To his, yeah, his ascension. Right? Elijah didn't die. He was taken up by, by chariots into heaven. And, and uh, it's just, it's, it's really, really amazing the ministry of his obedient ministry throughout history. And, and uh, as we get into it today, I just pray that God open your heart and open your mind and that you would begin to see these connections as well, these crucial connections between the Old Testament and New Testament. I want to tell you that it doesn't take a lot of imagination to see the world of Elijah, to see the rule of Ahab, uh, the idolatry that's rampant, the departure from the holy things of God. Uh, it, it doesn't take a lot to see that we're in a very similar circumstance now and that the voices of true prophets, the voices of those who are crying out truth today are often attacked and beat down and uh, put under by those who would seek to propagate the idolatry. So anyway, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. That's kind of setting the stage today. First uh, Kings chapter 18 verses 1 and 2. We'll start there and then we're going to skip down to 17 and 18 because we're going to talk about the challenge that Elijah is issuing. See, 
in this time, Israel, the northern kingdom that was ruled by Ahab and his hedonistic wife, Jezebel, um, is experiencing a time of phenomenal prosperity. It's important to know that during this time of idolatry, during this time where they have totally departed from God, that actually the northern kingdom is doing really, really well. And this should really kind of draw our attention to something, that outward appearances, what we in our natural flesh consider success or successful is not always what God, and most often is not what God considers successful, is not what God considers as a win. To fear God and be in want, to be maybe not have everything we want, but everything we need is a better place to be to have everything we want, not have God. Is it, do you guys agree? No, not a whole lot. I understand because we're kind of geared that way. You know, success equals more money. Success equals more things. And, and even not only success, blessing in today's gospel. Now, even if you're not a hardcore prosperity person, right? Maybe you're not like a, a pros- you didn't, you've never followed a prosperity teacher, someone who says, well, if you do this, then you can expect this, a Mercedes from God, or you can expect, you know, because I'm blessed and because I'm anointed, I get a new jet every 10 years, or you've never followed one of these churches, or you don't really subscribe to that. I want to tell you that it has penetrated almost every single church in, in, in the West, this idea that God, his intention for you is to never suffer. I'm going to tell you that there is a gospel full of suffering. Suffering. On, Jesus didn't deserve anything he received. He was the suffering servant of God. He didn't deserve any of that. And there is this theology of suffering that we need to kind of get back to. That it is a noble thing to suffer for the gospel. It's a noble thing to lay yourself on the line and sacrifice for the kingdom of God. And here we have Elijah who is sacrificing everything. We already know Jezebel has killed all the other prophets except for, well, we'll learn here, just there's a few remaining, but Elijah is the most public of them all. And he's the one still walking around free and they're hunting Elijah. They are literally hunting him. And uh, they cannot find him because the Lord keeps hiding him in different places. But in, ver- in chapter 18, God is calling on Elijah to reveal himself. You want superhero? You know, how many of you saw Endgame? Right? A lot of you. Okay, some of you, don't be embarrassed. It's okay. You can raise your hand. You can let your inner nerd out for like five minutes, okay? But it was, it was pretty epic, right? And we really like, Stacey and I really like the Marvel Universe. I asked her a couple years ago, what movie do you want to watch on your birthday? You know, and I made her dinner and uh, you can pick the movie. And I for sure thought it was going to be Pride and Prejudice. I mean, for sure. No, it was the Avengers. That's what she picked. God bless me, man. And, uh, but there's a fascination today with superheroes, with those who are willing to sacrifice. Now, there are some that are anti-heroes, you know, but there are, you know, and these qualities that we admire in these heroes, the strength, the courage, the fortitude, these are all qualities that we see in Elijah, but that we also see in our Lord Jesus. Our real superheroes, our real heroes of the faith. Elijah is one of those. So in, in 18, he is called out to reveal himself to Ahab, who he, he has every single reason to believe will kill him on sight. Every single reason to believe that. Verse 1 says this, After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. How long did the drought last? Three years. Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Verse 2, So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab, and now the famine was severe in Samaria. 
Skip down with me to verse 17 and 18. Why are we skipping around? Because we just don't have time to read the whole thing. But you do need to read the whole thing. I'm telling you, you need to read it. Verse 17 says, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Verse 18, Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, you and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. You, O troubler of Israel. Do you know sometimes when you speak truth, when you speak truth, and I mean you speak truth love in a loving way. I, I don't when you speak truth to people who are living in darkness, you're gonna face opposition. Period. You're gonna face because you know, I said it last week, I still think it rings true. Everybody wants accountability until it's time for somebody to hold you accountable. Then it's hard, right? And that's really what we're talking about. What's the prophetic gift? It's to speak the word of the Lord over God's people. And here, Elijah is speaking the word over God's people. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. Things are going great. They've got jobs. They've got money. There's a prosperous nation under Ahab and Jezebel. They don't want to hear it. Everything's good. We don't need that. And they're not responding. And, 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 And he's not very popular that message is never going to be popular. If you think that, that just being cooler or just being more popular or if, you know, if we as a church, we just try, to, just try to shape who we are to just reach more people and compromise a bunch of stuff, it's not, it's not going to work. It's not going to work because the message of truth is always hard for the unrepentant heart to hear. But here's the great thing about God's word. It confronts us. And if we only preach the law, if we only preach the confrontation part, we're missing it. And I'll be the first one to tell you, I can major on the confrontation and I can minor on grace. That's, that's just who I am. And it's not, it's not a strength. It's, not, it's something I need to work on. But I, I like preaching that challenges my heart. I like, challenges, I like preaching that breaks my heart. And because I, even though God is good and my marriage is good and I believe our ministry is good and a lot of things are good, I believe that it, it's not perfect. It's not... It's, it's, it can be better. I can follow Christ more closely. I can always do better. And I need to hear hard things sometimes. I need to hear hard things. I need people who will speak into my life as much as I get to speak into your life, which is a distinct privilege that I take very seriously. But I also need people to speak into my life and help me be sharp. But it's not always easy to hear. One of the great people who have spoken in my life over the years is Stacy's father mainly because he's my father-in-law and I've married his daughter, but also because I worked for him for several years. And, you know, I can have a tendency, I know this is hard to believe, but be a little harsh and with people. And uh, he would call me into his office and, and, you know, I always expected him to have my back, but there'd be times where he, he would have my back, but he would also say, you really missed it here and you need to go say, I'm sorry, and you need to apologize. And there were times where I said, okay, you're right. And there were times where I pushed back and I fought back and I didn't storm him out of his office, but I was like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, you know. But then the Holy Ghost would get a heart, hold of my heart in prayer and he was right. And I'd have to apologize and I hate apologizing because there's a pride in me that's unholy. And I'll have to apologize and say, I'm sorry, you were right. You know, I need to, I need to make that right with that person. But it's not always easy to hear, but we need to still hear it. I'm so thankful that there are still preachers, that there are still people, that there are still churches that are preaching God's word, preaching truth 
Do we agree that God's word is truth? Amen. And there's still it's still being preached and it's still being proclaimed, even though idolatry we're surrounded all around by idolatry. That there's still a voice in that wilderness. There's still somebody proclaiming truth. And we need to hear it, even though it's not easy. And what's our what happens when we hear truth? I want to tell you that you can fight against it, you can kick against it, but the, really the only option, if we agree that God's word is truth, and we agree that when God's word is preached, that truth is being preached, then the only response is obedience. Obedience. Romans 6.16 says this, Do you not know that if you present yourselves as anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or obedience which leads to righteousness? Today, in every moment of your life, you have a chance to serve Jesus Christ as the Lord and King of your life, to echo the song that we just sang, Lord, reign in me. Lord, reign in me. Can you just take a minute to think about what you're singing? Lord, reign in me. There's an there's a surrender in that. There's a, there's a, Lord, I am not king of my life. You are king of my life. Your word is truth, and I surrender to you. And when you surrender to the Lord Jesus as king, when he speaks into your life, whether it be through his word, through preaching, or through the sharp correction of a friend, or your partner in life, your spouse, then your duty is to respond. And I want to tell you that it always doesn't come like it came to Moses in a burning bush and a booming voice like James Earl Jones from heaven. Sometimes it comes from the people we least want to receive it from. <laughs> right? Has anybody ever, you know, it's become known you're a Christian in the workplace and the most heathenest person in the whole office is telling you that you're not acting like a Christian? And that happened to me. And you're like, who, this person, this person, Lord, this is who you're using? Yeah, this is who I'm using. That's how big of a goof you're being, right? That I'm using this person to bring correction into your life. They think, oh, if I just hear it from God, I want to tell you every time you sit in preaching, that's biblical. Every time you sit in a Bible study where somebody's teaching the word and something is touched in your heart, that's the Lord speaking to your life. When you open this sacred book, God's word to his people, and something about it touches your life and says, you know what, this needs to be fixed. Your only logical answer is, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. If he is truly the Lord of lords and the King of kings, the only thing you can say is, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I will follow you. You know why? Because God wants your best. We, we get this idea that God's angry with us. He's just half ticked off all the time as a book I'm recently reading says that God is just, seems like he's just always half ticked off. He's not. He's our good, good father who loves us. And when he brings correction, it's because he wants what's best for you. And he wants what's best for me. I want to tell you too that Elijah found out, as many of us have found out, that following Christ is neither comfortable nor convenient. If you're, going to do, if you're going to endeavor to do anything for the kingdom of God, I want to promise you one thing. It will not be comfortable, and it will not be convenient. You will have to make the time, you will have to learn the skill, and you will have to discipline yourself, because following Christ is difficult. The easy way is to go the way of the world. That's the easy way. The hard way is following Jesus, contrary again to the prosperity gospel, the gospel where if you follow Christ, you will be blessed and you will never face hardship again. How many of you know that's not true? But 
we can face hardship never alone. Never alone. Jesus is always with us. He didn't say we wouldn't have hardships. He said he'd be with us through the hardships. Somebody say amen. amen. Victory for the many is going to come through one person. It's going to come through Elijah. Through his obedience and through his sacrifice. He literally laid his life on the line. He could have been killed immediately, but God had a plan for him. God is going to deliver Israel out of the hands of Ahab and Jezebel through Elijah. How many of you know we see a foreshadowing here of Jesus? A foreshadowing of the one who would leave heaven. Remember, Jesus, Jesus left heaven. Left heaven. The creator, the one who hung the stars in the sky and, and spoke by his word everything we have around us into existence, decided to leave heaven and come to earth. Because only through the sacrifice of him, the one, Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God, could we truly have forgiveness. We are his creation. We rebelled. We disobeyed. But the creator of the universe came himself to save his creation from themselves. That's huge. This is who Jesus is. And our victory over sin, our victory over idolatry, though it can seem impossible, it can only come through the transformational work of Jesus. And that word is super important, transformational. Not I'm going to try to do better, not I need to work on it. How does transformation happen? It says, Lord, I cannot do it. Everything in me wars against what I know I ought to do, but I surrender myself to you, to the work of the Holy Spirit, and I ask that you would create in me a new heart, O oh God, that you would create in me a new desire. I want to tell you that there were things in my life that were instantly transformed the moment I came to Christ, but there were things that weren't. Why? Because I failed to yield those things to his, to his authority. And it's only as we yield them to his authority and we yield to him that those things are transformed. But make no mistake, as Elijah came to deliver Israel from the hands of Ahab and Jezebel, so Jesus came to deliver us from the hands of our enemy, who wishes nothing for you but destruction, and who's leading a wide path that way. So now we come to the, that was the challenge, now we come to the battle, and this is the most exciting part. I'm telling you, I'm amped, because when you read about what, what God does here, and again, we're going to be skipping around. But I encourage you to go back this week and read all of 1 Kings 18 and 19 and, and really get into it here. But we come to the place where the battle happens. 1 Kings 18, 20, and 21 says this. Ahab sent to all the people of Israel, and he gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, uh, if Baal then follow him. Now skip with me to uh, 27 and 28. At noon, Elijah mocked them, crying, saying, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself. It's funny. Or he is on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. We have this great battle. We have the stages set. Elijah is on the mountain with the prophets of Baal. About 450 of them, it's just Elijah. There's two altars, one to Baal 
one to the Lord our God. And on each one of these altars, well, Elijah's altar is made of 12 stones, each one representing a tribe of Israel. I don't know what the, the other one is just an altar, okay? And uh, there's wood, there's a, sacrifice, there's a sacrifice on the altar, and under the sacrifice is wood. But the, the challenge here is, I'm, Elijah says, I'm going to build an altar, and uh, he, he builds, and you're going to build an altar, and they build an altar. And, and uh, the God who answers with fire, he is God. Okay, this is the challenge. Now, can you just imagine the boldness of this? The absolute boldness and faith that it takes to do that, right? And so, and, and something that we have never seen before, right? So Elijah builds the altar, and he says, since there's 450 of you, you're going to build your altar like that. So you start. And he tells them, and they build the altar, and then they, they're crying, and they're crying, and here's Elijah, he kind of taunts them a little bit, maybe he's sleeping, maybe he's, you know, using the head, you know, maybe we got problems here, so hey, just cry louder, cry louder, maybe you'll wake them up. And they cry louder, and they cut themselves, and they hurt themselves, and nobody answers, there's no answer. It's important to know that Baal is always referred to in the Bible, the little g. He's not God. Of course there'd be no answer. And even if there was some demonic presence behind the worship of Baal, God would never allow that to happen. So nothing happens. Then Elijah, not only does he build the altar in the exact same fashion, not only does he follow the same rules, building the altar, not letting any fire to it, but then he takes in the middle of a drought of three years, takes four jars of water. They're each about, I, I, I want to say they're about 17 liters or so. He takes these jars and he, he says, okay, go fill these jars up with water and pour them on the sacrifice. And they do that once. And he says, do it again. And they do it again. And they says, do it one more time. They do it a third time. Now there are 12 jars of water, and there's a little, he dug a little ditch around his, his sacrifice. Now it's full of water. And this is, this is where we find ourselves right now. And I mean, we don't want to super get ahead, okay? But this is, this is the point we find ourselves, and we can learn a few things just from, just from being right here in the middle. It's number one, God hates idolatry. Now, when we use the word God hates, I'm sure everybody's ears and even the hairs on the back of your neck may stick up because we, when we think of God, we love the mercy of God, we love the favor of God, we love being sons and daughters of God, but when it comes to justice and judgment, then we're like, whoa, hold up, God hates something, God's going to judge something, absolutely. In Revelation 2.6, it says this, Jesus is saying this, you had... Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. What was the works of the Nicolaitans in Revelation? If you go and you read further, you'll find out it's idolatry. He hates idolatry. Why? Can you imagine the creator of the universe? We're his creation, and instead of worshiping him as God, we worship wood and stone, the created, or maybe even flesh and blood, no matter what. We're not worshiping God Right? And what can, what can stone do? What can we do? It doesn't. Baal is the same today as he was then. Mute, powerless, ineffectual. Yet we constantly find ourselves serving other gods, hoping that these little G gods will answer our prayer. And it's not isolated to Elijah, this is still prominent today. 
we still worship other gods. God also hates false teaching. He hates those who would lead God's people astray. There's a verse in the Bible that says, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't, I don't have my notes on it. But basically, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says it'd be better that a millstone be tied. Now, there's a millstone downstairs as you walk out downstairs. There's a, that's what that is downstairs as you walk down the little uh, serpentine stairway and you come to where the gate is, that big round thing down there, that's a millstone. It'd be better that one of those be tied around your neck and you be cast in the sea than you lead one of God's children astray. Does he hate false teaching? I think that's safe. I don't think I'm stretching the gospel by saying that. What, 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 what must be done with false teaching? Well, number one, I believe we must avoid false teaching at all costs. That you are right. I mean, like I am very happy when people visit our church and they take the the literature that's out front or they visit our website, they read the the 16 fundamental truths, the 16 things that we believe as a church or that at least you can expect to be taught from this pulpit even if you don't necessarily agree with all 16, but you understand that that's what's going to be taught from the front because you should care about that. You should care about that because you should be trying to avoid false teaching. I want to tell you that not every book on the Christian bookshelf is a Christian book. Not everybody who stands up behind a pulpit and proclaims the name of Jesus is preaching the gospel. And we need to be, we are responsible for discerning that. And that can be difficult, especially if you're a brand new Christian. But if you've been a Christian 20-some years and you still don't have enough truth to discern false from true teaching, then I'm sorry, but you need to get in God's word. Because the only way to distinguish what is false is to know, know what is true. Amen? Amen? And here we have Israel who cannot distinguish between Ahab and Jezebel. Now Ahab, he wasn't wholeheartedly in yet. He kind of kept one little foot in the kingdom of God. Okay, but not Jezebel. She was wholeheartedly heathen. But Israel just had lost so much of the knowledge of God that they just either they didn't care or they didn't know the difference. Church, we find ourselves in a very similar situation today. Either we don't care what the truth is or we don't know the difference. That's why we're going through the Bible together. And I hope that most of you are here for all three years of it. Some of you won't, but in the time that you are, I hope that there's enough truth revealed that you you get it. Because we can't take for granted anymore that every person who stands up and preaches or every book that's written or every blog, oh God help us with all the blogs, that, that, that every blog is also reflecting the truth of Scripture. We have to be able to discern truth from fiction. Amen. I want to tell you too, one thing we learn here is that, the, and I've mentioned this briefly already, the demonic powers that are at work in this world are subject to God's authority. How many of you know that? They are subject to God's authority. It was Jesus who spoke to the crazy man at the cave, come out. What did he do? He come out, right? He threw him into a herd of pigs, and even the pigs had the sense enough to run off the cliff and kill themselves rather than be possessed by demons, okay? God demonstrates his power for his glory. And here, in just a moment, we're going to get into God demonstrating his power as we get into the victory. That's my third point. That those who respond to the challenge, those who fight the battle, can count on God's 
victory. I want to tell you, as, I, as we get ready to get into this, we're going to move to 1 Kings 18, 37 and 38. As we get ready to read the scripture, I want to tell you that our victory doesn't always look like God's victory, that sometimes they look different. By all accounts, the death of Jesus on the cross was a loss, a complete waste. But how many of you know that on that day, in that moment, the greatest victory that's ever been won in the history of victories was won? Amen. But to those people looking on, to those crucified near Jesus, this was the biggest waste ever. Victory doesn't always look like we think it ought to look. A church full of people is not always fruitful for the kingdom of God. Financial wealth does not always equate to God's blessing. What we see as victory, God often sees completely differently. So 18, verse 37 and 38 says this. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. This is Elijah praying. That this people may know that you are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Elijah didn't pray, God, answer me so I don't look like an idiot. Lord, answer me so I don't look the fool. Lord, answer me so I am not embarrassed. He says, answer me so that your people may know you are God. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. God answered prayer. The victory is won. Fire from heaven came down, consumed the offering and every drop of water in the trench. If you go with me to 42 and 45, it it says this, Elijah went up to the town at the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself on the earth and he put his face between his knees and he took and he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked down, he looked out and said, there's nothing. And he said, go out again seven times. Now we know in the Bible, seven times means completion. Verse 44, at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising out of the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. In a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and the wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And then verse 46 is also awesome, but I'll just read it to you. And, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment, and he ran ahead of Ahab, who was on a chariot, by the way, to the en- entrance of Jezreel. You know, I can just see Elijah there at the entrance. You know, the Hussein Bolt thing. But in verse 39, we also need to just briefly look back. What, ha- what was the result of the victory? The, well, the people said, the Lord, he is God the Lord, he is God. And a couple things we can get here from the victory. Number one is God's patience is generous because God is being generous. He has sent prophets before. He had sent Elijah. But his judgment is real. It's justified and it's also imminent. When I was in the Air Force. Uh, we would you know, the threat of chemical warfare during the first Gulf War was really strong. And so we would have chem warfare drills constantly. And uh, I was stationed in California and it was super hot. And I worked on the flight line and we'd have a chem warfare drill and we'd have to 
put on our chem warfare, but work didn't stop. We still had to work in the heat and the, on the plane and, and just kind of make it all happen with those little chem warfare gloves. They were horrible. You couldn't put a nut on a, anyway, it was a mess because the threat, we were being trained that the threat was always imminent. What's imminent mean? It's going to happen soon, right? We believe it's going to happen soon. God's judgment is going to happen and it's going to happen soon. We believe that, okay? We believe Jesus is going to return. We believe after Jesus' return and, the, and uh, the saints are caught up in the air that after a reign of a thousand years that Jesus is going to judge the earth. And those who have not already confessed their sin are going to be judged. And they're going to be judged according to their work. See, here's what happens when you come to a church like this and an invitation is given to accept Jesus and maybe God's even working on your heart, but you decide this week you're not going to respond. I'm not, no, not yet. I don't, I'm not convinced. I don't believe. I don't want to, I believe it, but I don't want to follow Jesus, whatever the situation is. What you're saying is if you were to meet Jesus today that you'd rather stand before an almighty God on your own merit knowing that you're a sinner and that his judgment of your sin is justified, imminent, and real. And that's going to happen. But when you accept Christ, what you're saying is, I'm guilty. I admit I'm guilty. I can't pay back what I've taken. I can't pay back who I've hurt. But I receive Jesus Christ as the sacrifice and atonement for my sins. See, you're already confessing your guilt. And each one of us in this room know our guilt. We know it. We're aware of it. And though God is patient and he's wanting not one to perish, not one person to perish in the world, not just in this room, in the world, his patience endures. But his judgment is real and it is imminent. We don't know the time. We don't know the hour. In John, it says this, the one who rejects me, this is Jesus saying this, and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. And church, I would also remind every one of us that we cannot experience the victory and blessing of God while living a duplicitous life. We cannot be lukewarm We can't just, oh, well, you know, I'm a Christian in these situations, but I'm not in these other situations. Either he is Lord of all or he is Lord of nothing at all. Another thing we learn through the victory is that the battle is the Lord's. Here we see a great battle, a battle that Elijah could never win on his own accord. But he trusts God, he calls on God, and God answers. And The Lord wins the battle. He challenged the enemy. He mobilized his power, and he will win the battle. And he has won the battle. Amen? If Jesus Christ never does anything for you for the rest of your life, but he saved you, I want to to tell you, that's enough. Amen? That's enough. That's enough. We've all experienced that miracle. We've all experienced that are in the church of Jesus Christ today, that gift of grace. And I want to tell you that it's enough. You think, I mean, can we just take a moment and marvel at God for just a minute? That heaven opened up, that fire rained down, 
that God answered this prayer and showed himself to be God. Can you imagine being there that day? Now, the Bible says that all of Israel was gathered. I, I don't know exactly what that means. That's a little hard to imagine, that an entire nation would be gathered upon one mountaintop. That, perhaps that means the leadership of Israel. Perhaps that means you know, the elders of Israel. It could mean everybody too. I, I, we don't know. But let's say there were some people out tending the sheep. Let's say there were some people out there who didn't experience the miracle firsthand. What do you think was their reaction when they, the rest of Israel came down off that mountain and told them, well, there was this big thing. There were these two altars. And, 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 and uh, the, the prophets, they cried out to Baal and nobody answered. But then Elijah called out and fire rained down from heaven and it consumed. What do you think the reaction of those being told that was? Oh, come on. What? Fire from heaven? Come on. No way. No way. I don't believe that. Don't we experience that today? We experience that today the same way. You've many of you have experienced a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but when you go out and you share it with somebody, they don't get it. They don't get it. They don't respond. Why? Because the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And believe me, he's done way more than rain fire from heaven. He sent his son from heaven to save people from their sins. And that's all that needs to be done. And though you may proclaim it, the fire comes in his time. The fire comes in his time and he will touch their hearts and he will touch their lives. And they may still say no. They may still choose to not believe it, but they're going to all have an opportunity. They're all going to have a chance. He will win the battle. Here's the beauty of, of the gospel. We get to choose which side we'll be on. We get to choose. Now, my Calvinistic friends listening today may say, well, there's no choice. You know, God has predestined me for glory. Some are saved and some aren't. That's just the way it is. Read our 16 fundamental truths. We don't believe that. And I'm not going to teach that. I, I, can't, I can't reconcile that with Scripture. And we can disagree on that. But you're not going to teach that, okay? Because we believe that Jesus came to save every single person on the face of the earth, that he left the 99 for the one, and that we, we are his elect. We are. We are his elect. We, people, human beings, are elected by God for salvation. We believe that. And Jesus came to save. We respond in faith by saying yes. Yes. And church, I want to tell you that the clock is running. Time is not infinite for any of us. We all know that and we're reminded of that occasionally. But we have a choice. We have an option. We can say, yes, I'm a sinner. I need the grace of God. I accept the sacrifice of Jesus. Or we could say no. And we can deny that grace and we can walk away from that grace. I want to tell you, I have seen miracles in people's lives. People that are dearly close to me, people who I love, 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 who even after a great miracle has decided to walk away from the invitation that Jesus offers each and every one of us because of the hardness of their heart, because of the stubbornness of their mind, whatever the reason is. They feel like they're, I think a lot of people just feel like they're just giving, they're just going to, the, the fear of the unknown, leaving everything behind. Following Jesus just freaks them out. But there are people who have seen fire from heaven and still walk away not believing. Don't let it be us, Lord. Don't let it be us. So to sum up, 
The challenge that Elijah speaks to the people of Israel is as real today as it was then. And what he says, I mean, I think he picks his words so carefully. How long will you limp between Baal and God? To phrase it in another way, how long will you limp between Jesus and your idols? Why does the word limp use? Because you're living a crippled life. You're living a crippled life. By trying to keep one foot in each camp, you're, you're, you're living a crippled life. Stacy and I visited London a little while ago when we visited the International Dateline, and you can stand, I think that's what it's called, right? Yeah, whatever. You, can, you know what I'm talking about. And you can stand, and you can have one, one foot here and one foot there, but you can't live your life that way. You can't walk that way. You, you know how, many, how silly you'd look walking around like that, you know? You can't walk around with one foot in one camp and one foot in the other. And I, I know that we had some amens there when I said Jesus is Lord of all or Lord of nothing at all. I know there were some amens there, but I, I want us to internalize that, right? What is in your life that Jesus is not Lord of, right? What does your pocketbook say about where your priorities are? What does your calendar say about where your priorities are? What does your life say about your priorities? Is it possible that you think you're following the Lord, but you're actually living a, du- a duplicitous life. Is that, is that possible? Is that, can I ask you that question without pointing fingers? Can I, can I ask us to internalize that and ask, what part of my life is not surrendered to God? There is a battle being waged, there's no doubt. And today you have an opportunity to answer who you will listen to, who you will follow, who you will choose. Is it Baal? Is it the God of wood or stone or money or flesh? Or is it the Lord of lords and King of kings. Make no mistake, our victory is in Jesus. Isaiah 45, 8 says this, Shower, O heavens, from above, and let clouds rain down righteousness. How many of you know Isaiah is pointing to Jesus in this verse? Let the clouds rain down righteousness. Jesus, our righteousness, rained down from heaven. He came down. The earth opened, and salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Jesus came, and he brought salvation. That salvation might bear fruit. Our sin has been judged. Mercy has been extended. The question that remains is, will you receive it? Will you receive the mercy that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, it's at this point of the service where many churches will invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes and and quietly raise your hand to accept Jesus. The truth is, if you have decided to follow Jesus, you have already done so in your heart in this moment. If not, you will still question this. And I I actually hope the sermon haunts you literally haunts you until you make the decision because make no mistake about it the decision for Jesus Christ or Baal is the most most important decision in your entire life not your career not your children not your finances not nothing nothing is more important than this question and it's ironic it's a sad bit of irony that it is often the question that we spend the least time researching the least time finding out the truth the least time investigating especially people who walk away they're like ah jesus isn't for me they don't know nothing about jesus and they're already denying him they spend zero time investigating the most important question of their life 
Is Jesus Lord? Is Jesus Lord? Are we still waiting on our gods of wood, stone, and paper and flesh to answer a prayer that will never be answered? Isn't it about time that we start calling on the living God? Isn't it about time that we start calling on Jesus, the one who created heaven and earth, who spoke us all into existence, and not only that, saved us from ourselves? Isn't it about time that we start not only acknowledging with our lips Jesus is Lord, but living our lives in such a way that is reflective of that confession? Amen? Oh man, this is feel-good preaching. I know it's not popular and I don't liken myself to Elijah or Jesus, but this, in my opinion, is what preaching the gospel is. It's the challenge of our hearts. And I want to tell you, hear, my, hear what I'm saying, that though we are guilty, we, are, we have been redeemed by Jesus, by the blood of the Lord. There is forgiveness in Jesus. And the law, the Old Testament, serves a purpose in bringing our awareness to that. And the gospel brings the solution. It brings Jesus. Even though the Old Testament points to Jesus, it's in Jesus that we have the solution for sin. Amen? God's solution since the foundations of the world. You've got to think about that for a second. When he created you and me, when he created Adam and Eve, he also knew Jesus would have to come. It didn't occur to him like 2,000 years later. He knew. He knew. And he still created us. He still made us. People say, well, if God is so great, why do he allow sin? If God is so great, why did he create us in the first place? Knowing that we would sin, knowing we would disappoint him, knowing that we would go our own way and worship our own idols. And he still did it. That's the love. That's what you have in Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm a, the worship team is going to come up. And today, you, you, you may have made a decision for Christ. You may have settled it in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And if that's you, I want to talk to you. I want to meet you. I want to put resources in your hands, and I want to talk about something called water baptism with you. Because it's too easy to say, even now, even as I'm still speaking for a few more minutes, to say, okay, yeah, you know, that's me. I, I'm going to but we, we need people to help us and walk with us as we challenge the things that are in our own life. And we need people to come alongside of us. And I want to be one of those people. And I want to put you in touch with some of those people that can help you and walk with you in what it means to follow Jesus. Amen? Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.